cast our hope in life Isn't it good to sing together? It's really good to sing together. Uh, our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 13 through 17 together. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. We'll remain standing out of honor for God and His Word. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. You may be seated. And in just a moment, we'll pray together. Uh, just want to mention that we'll be praying today for one of our uh, workers who is Jenna Weisenberger. And uh, she uh, is serving. And if you'd like to hear uh, more about what she's doing, she's actually here this morning. She's... Uh, in the room even now, and you could find her uh, on the plaza, I'm sure, after service, and she'd love to share with you. So we'll pray for Jenna as we pray together, and let's pray together now. Father, we thank you that we can sing songs to you, that Christ is our hope in life and death, that he has paid for every sin, and we can sing that when we were lost, you found us, and when we were slaves, you freed us. And even into the, the final days of our life, we will sing that Christ lives, that he, he is our hope in life and death. And for all eternity, we will feast with him in endless joy. Lord, we just praise you for these things this morning. Thank you that even in spite of all of our sin, you've poured out so much mercy on us so richly in Jesus. And we know, even when we look at our own hearts as well as the world around us, we just we see the weight of sin and we are groaning, longing for the new creation. Lord, we know that even in our own hearts, in many ways, this very week, we've just longed for other things and, and twisted uh, the things that you've given us as good gifts towards our own ends. We've cherished and valued other treasures above Christ. And so, Lord, we just bring all these things out to you together now. Acknowledge them before you. Confess our sins. We pray that you would comfort us this morning in Jesus, that his death in our place on the cross and resurrection would be our hope and that we would look to that again this morning. Lord, we also know even outside of us in the world, there's so much evil, and some of us heard this week about that terrible car crash in Orange, and Lord, we just pray for the families involved in that, and those who had lost loved ones, we just ask that you would work through that situation, even for your glory, and to bring people to see their need for Christ, and all over the world, Lord, we know that there's so much need for the gospel, and so much sin and suffering in this sin-sick world, and so... We just pray for the progress of the gospel everywhere. We thank you for the kids who were just up at Hume Lake and for those students, Lord. We ask that the work that was done in their hearts this week would be uh, meaningful in eternal ways, that it would be the work of your spirit that was changing lives and hearts there. And we also pray for Jenna and for her work. And we just pray that you would continue to use her in, 
and encourage her in what she's doing and that that would be um, something that would be fruitful. We pray for her encouragement that you would continue to put people around her who would be a blessing to her and that we as well would be able to be a blessing. And we just thank you that she's here with us this morning as well. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you have redeemed us from all our failings and sins in Christ and given us new life in him. We pray that this morning you would remind us of all of the ways that you've blessed us in Christ and you would have, uh, help our hearts to have joy and uh, love for you because of that. It's all in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sing, O church, arise. O church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that in the strength that God has given, with shield of faith and belts of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies. An army bold, whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in To rage against the captor and with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and power. When faith is a on every side, we know the outcome is secure. And Christ will have the prize for which he died. Inheritance of nations. Come see the cross. Come see the cross where love and mercy meet. As the Son of God is stricken, then see his foes by crush beneath his feet. For the conqueror has risen. And as the Son.
thank you so much for this morning and for the chance to sing together to you. And God, we pray for this time in your word. May you help us to understand and in your spirit to apply it to how we live, Lord, as we come to see you more clearly and love you more deeply. God, we just pray for grateful hearts that just delight in Christ and are thankful for all the grace that you have shown us. God, we pray that you would be glorified this morning as we hear from your word. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, find 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in your Bibles. It's a privilege to open up the inspired and errant and fallible word of God with you today. I'm very thankful for this church. And I'm very thankful for dear friends uh, who faithfully shepherd and exposit the word, especially when they visit us. I got a good friend here, Benjamin Forbes, who pastors uh, Living Hope Bible Church in Mansfield, Texas. He's got a wife and five kids, and he faithfully serves the church there. And it's always good to see. I haven't seen Ben in a few years, so it's good to see you today. So I've got a cousin, Cousin Tim, who lives in Tennessee. He lives on a bit of a farm, and he recently wrote this. He said, my granddaughter came running up to me and told me there was a skunk in the field. And then he said, I watched, and I had a hunch what he was after. Sometimes we're more worried than we need to be in some situations, and sometimes we're not worried enough. I think it's safe to say that if you see a skunk... You can assume it's up to no good, and it would be wise to guard yourself. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul was saying there were skunks in the church. They were persecuting with foul-smelling deeds, and the church needed to stand firm in the Word of God and be praying for God's power, that God's power would be evident in and through them. They needed it as they lived in an anti-God, anti-gospel skunky atmosphere. In the midst of problems, in the midst of persecution, in the muggy humidity of alarm and despair, what we have, and I've, I've just been loving dwelling in these verses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, we have a, just a cool breeze of encouragement that, that blows in. Inspired by the, the, the Spirit of God who knows exactly what the church needs, and what we saw in verses 13 and 14 is just praise for the providence of God in saving lost sinners. That we're, we were beloved of God. We were chosen. We were saved and sanctified. We are called by the gospel to share the glory of Christ. And then we saw a plea, not just to sit back and watch it all unfold, but to hold on to the word of God. We saw this last week, that others' good ought to be our concern, that we need to personally interact, that we need to pray and preach the word and help the weak and encourage the worried, correct the wandering and be wary of the wolf-like and work with the unaware with compassionate conviction, all the while finding our greatest delight in Christ. And now we have one of Paul's benedictions in verses 16 and 17. And he's praying for God's power, and he prays for God's power based on God's love and God's grace, which is the true source of comfort and strength. What Paul is doing here is reminding them 
of their sovereignly decided destiny, and he's asking God to encourage their hearts to be steadfast in serving him. And what he does, the way he does it is he thanks God for choosing and saving them. Then he tells them, now you stand firm and you hold on to the word. And then he prays that God would do exactly what he said he will do. I love it. Paul is expressing his desire for the church, for these beloved believers. And he's, what he's doing is modeling praying for God's power. How we must pray for God's power. How we must appreciate what Christ has done. That we must anticipate what he will do. And that we must participate in what he is doing so that we serve his purposes. That we would appreciate what he has done at the cross, that we would anticipate what he will do, that he has promised to do, and participate in what he is currently doing. And what the first thing he points out in verse 16 is what God has already done. He reminds the church he says, this is the foundation of your life. And, and he wants them to acknowledge and affirm the work of God. He wants us to acknowledge and affirm the work of God that we would know with assurance God's eternal comfort and good hope by grace. That God steadfastly holds on to his own. Today you might feel like you're, you're you know, slipping away, that, that, you're, that even your, your faith is, is failing. What he's saying is we rely on God's power. We rely on what he has previously displayed. We have seen his power previously displayed in saving us, in calling us by the gospel, in, in calling us to share in Christ's glory. We've seen it happen, believers, in our lives. Therefore, trust him in what he is doing and participate in what he is doing. He points out, first and foremost, the absolute sovereignty of God and salvation, the work of one, he says in verse 16, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. Our Lord Jesus and God our Father. Now within 20 years of the resurrection, here is Paul putting Jesus with the Father. And, and the Father with Jesus. There's equality and unity of the Father and the Son. God is one. We have a triune God. Some of you are like, where's the Holy Spirit here? He inspired the word. He's behind every word. And what we're seeing here is that Jesus Christ is God in the same sense as the Father is God. Paul is using the singular here. He's saying, who loved us? Who gave us? He's talking about God Almighty, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, our Father and our Lord, the one who purposed to save us, the one who will preserve us, and it was all by grace, our Lord Jesus and God our Father, there is a family connection. It is personal, and, and we trust that he is working out the family resemblance. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. He says, our, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us. You need to know that Jesus loves you, that the Father loves you, that the Spirit loves you. And, and by the way, both the Son and the Father, it, it says, have, have loved and, and given. It shows, again, the unity of the Godhead, the evidence in the incarnation of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. It's always referred to in terms of God loving and God giving the Son for us. It's because of God's love in Christ that you, beloved, can have encouragement, unending encouragement in your life, even as you go through painful 
times in life and even persecution and even doubts, that unending encouragement would offset the problems of your life and point you to your eternal hope. Jesus said in John 15, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. He says, greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. To the Romans, they heard these words, God demonstrates his love for us, his own love, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To the Ephesians, he wrote, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. John said, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we must lay down our lives for the brethren. In Revelation, we read that Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, to him that loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood, in his own blood, that we have been granted these immeasurable riches due to the love of God is the basis for praying for God's power. He loved us. It also tells us that he gave us eternal comfort. He gave us eternal comfort. The psalmist put it this way, the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. It's forever. It's eternal. In Isaiah, it says that the ransom of the Lord will return to Zion with everlasting joy on their heads. The salvation of God. Jesus said in John 14, I will ask the Father, and it's not as if the Father is going to say, well, let me think about it. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, a comforter, an advocate, an intercessor, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. If you're a believer today, the Holy Spirit is with you now and will be with you forever because you will be with him forever. There is this encouragement that is the basis for, for praying for God's power, this active, ongoing, permanent consolation. This is, I will never leave you or forsake you. He has given us eternal comfort. It lasts forever. We can comfort each other. We can say a word of encouragement. And, and sometimes it's like the air conditioning is on and the windows are open and it's gone. God's encouragement is forever. And he hasn't just given us eternal comfort. He's given us good hope. Good hope. Is there any other kind? Good hope. In Romans, it tells us that hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love within our hearts through the Holy Spirit that was given to us. In Romans 8, it says that in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he already sees? Near the end of Romans, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you might abound in hope, that the hope would overflow the banks to bless your life. In Galatians, we read it's the hope of righteousness. In Ephesians, we read that the Spirit is the guarantee of God's hope. The Colossians heard that the hope was laid up for them in heaven 
and that Christ in them is, was their hope of glory and that they were to continue in the faith, firm and steadfast, established, not moved from the hope of the gospel. Don't let yourself get pushed off point. This is what Paul was saying at the beginning of this chapter. Don't be easily alarmed. Don't be quickly moved by the troubles of your life. Titus says it's the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. God does not lie. We lie. God does not lie. Everything he says he will do, he will do. There is nothing, not one promise, that will fall to the ground. God, who does not lie, promised ages ago. We have the hope of eternal life. This isn't wishful thinking. This isn't uncertain. This is absolute assurance. Christian hope is unseen certainty. Hebrews 6 tells us it's the anchor for our souls is hope. When your strength seems non-existent, he holds you. He holds you now. I want you to think of your life and think of the winding road that it has been and think about how you could never have planned it out. You wouldn't have chosen many of the things that happened and yet God is sovereign and he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose in Christ. And so all your pain, all your heartache, God can even bring joy and hope in the midst. You live with regrets. You might even condemn yourself. For sins committed. And you read in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are free in Christ. You have good hope. Your sins are forgiven. As John Bunyan put it, hope is never ill when faith is well. You have good hope. And how does it come? It all comes, that eternal comfort and good hope comes, as it says in verse 16, through grace. Through grace. When the apostles were preaching, and it's recorded in the book of Acts, people were getting saved. They were coming to faith in Christ, and they were saying, we know that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. They knew they didn't do it themselves. It wasn't by the works of the law. It wasn't by human merit. Saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. It says that they believed through grace. Romans says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, and we have obtained this introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand by the grace of God. We have this eternal comfort and good hope by grace. What it describes is, is the solidness of salvation, the immovable character of it, because God chose you, because God elected you. It boomerangs you right back to verses 13 and 14. Just lift your eyes up in this passage and you'll notice the glorious gospel truth of being beloved, being chosen to be saved and sanctified and called by the gospel preaching to share in Christ's glory. Verse 13 says, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. If you're struggling with, with your strength because you know you don't have any and you're praying for God's power, you need first to appreciate the work of Christ in your life in saving you. It takes us back to the first letter 
We know, brothers, beloved by God, that he has chosen you. He elected you. He picked, it. He picked you for himself. Jesus put it this way in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Peter says you're a chosen race. You're, you're a people for God's own possession. This, this puts steel in your spine. This is good hope by grace. This is eternal comfort. He says to the Corinthians, by his doing, you are in Christ. It's the sovereign election of God before creation because of his sovereign good pleasure that God, on account of no foreseen merit in you and knowing everything about you, chose you to be saved. If you're a believer today, that's the truth the Bible tells us, and it's his eternal purpose to save some. It's the first link in the golden chain of redemption. If God hadn't done it, none would be saved. If God hadn't done it, you wouldn't be saved. The evidence just shows out. You experience the new birth. You're regenerated. God secretly and sovereignly imparts spiritual life to you, and you were called by the gospel, and you come to faith in Christ, and then you begin to experience life change. You begin to experience sanctification. You, be, you see traction and you follow godly examples and you become a godly example. And you receive the word and you give the word. You, you share your testimony. You love the church. You serve God's purposes. You reject idols. You wait for Jesus who will deliver us from the wrath to come. You know that God has done it because he loved you and gave you eternal comfort and good hope by grace. That he loved all the saved by grace. This grace was operative in, in all his work until now, according to his good pleasure, according to grace, his purposes stand. It's unbending, it will not move. You will not be lost, you will not be thrown away because God has done it by his grace. We're saved by grace. We live by grace. We serve by grace. And grace will lead us home. So may we greatly appreciate what Christ has done. Think of all the things we greatly appreciate in life. We appreciate an excellent meal. We appreciate great customer service. We appreciate a beautiful piece of art. We appreciate a well-written book, a finely crafted home. We, we recognize certain work for its creativity and even for its reflection of the glory of God. How much more ought we to appreciate greatly, deeply, soul-stirring appreciation for Christ's work? In our place, at the cross, for our sins. Appreciate what Christ has done, that, that Jesus loves you and gave you eternal comfort and good hope by grace. That he decided before you existed to set his covenant love savingly upon you and it is a magnanimous love. It is a wonderful love. It, it is a love that washes you. It is a love that cleanses you from your sins. It is a love that renews your heart. When you think all is lost, and he has done it by his grace, 
we must appreciate what God has done. We must also anticipate what God will do. Verse 17. It's kind of like this. If, if God gave you eternity, he's got tomorrow figured out. If God gave you eternity, he's got your life covered. If God gave you eternity, he knows how it's going to go. And he's going to be with you every step of the way. And he's not going to leave you or forsake you. So you can resist the fear. You can re reject the lies. You can trust Jesus. He, has, he will do what he has decreed. It's guaranteed. He's going to carry his work to completion. God will steadfastly strengthen you. You can rest in his comfort. You can rely upon his power. No matter what you might face. Paul is asking God to do two things that we would anticipate. The first is, comfort your hearts. That he would comfort your hearts. They would encourage your heart. Comfort here is the same word that is used in verse 16. He's praying that Christ and the Father will, will give present and practical comfort that works the good effects of the comfort that he has given eternally. He's given eternal comfort. He's going to comfort you now. It will affect every aspect of your life if you let it. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction that we would be able to comfort others with any affliction in, in their afflictions. Comforted in Christ. Comfort here is related to the word for the Holy Spirit as the comforter that Jesus promised to send believers in John 14, 15, and 16. The Spirit is carrying out his work in perfect coordination with the other members of the Trinity. God is doing this. God is comforting, and we can anticipate him doing it. When you feel like there's no comfort, when you feel like you're at your lowest point, when you feel like you're just, you're just in the dust, God comforts his own. In Isaiah, we read that the Lord comforts Zion. Comforts all her waste places. Makes her wilderness like Eden. Like the garden of the Lord. And that joy and gladness and thanksgiving and singing will be heard because of God's comfort. And God says, I am he who comforts you. Why are you afraid? I comfort you. God says in Isaiah 57, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place and with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and the heart of the contrite. He will revive your heart. Look to him. Pour your heart out to him. Pray for his strength in your weakness. God says in Isaiah 57, 18, I have seen your ways and I will heal you. I will lead you and restore comfort to you and even in mourning, even as you mourn. He would encourage your heart, that he would comfort your heart, that, that he would bring you through every moment of every day. He's got eternity covered. He holds all things together by the word of his power. This comfort, it's related to God's rule, to the reign of Christ, 
to the kingdom of God. It's, it's related to what he says in the word and how the spirit illumines the word that you would see, even in the midst of your darkest hours, the unseen things, that you would see unseen things in a rough world. That's why the psalmist cried out, how precious, O Lord, is your steadfast love. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings and feast on the abundance of your house. You give drink from the river of your delights. With you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. It's like Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path. 2 Corinthians 4, we read that God who says, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Look to Christ. Paul told the Romans, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, the the comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hold on to that. He's praying for comfort. That God would comfort your hearts, you can anticipate it. You can expect it. In the most unexpected moment. And secondly, he prays that God would strengthen them. That he would strengthen them. He says in verse 17, that he would establish your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. Support your hearts. Give stability to your hearts. It's like putting in a buttress for support. A a stone wall built against the wall to support a building. In the ancient world, the the architectural structures uh, often lacked adequate bracing, so they would support and reinforce it with another structure. That's why the psalmist said, God is our refuge and strength. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. This is why Paul told the Corinthians, he will sustain you, he will hold you up, he will strengthen you, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. Early in the next chapter here, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we read, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. He'll strengthen you. He'll hold you up. You can anticipate it. You can expect it. He will guard you against the evil one. You're fearful. You're wondering. You're wondering if if you're going to be stolen from Christ. You're wondering if you're going to fall away from Christ. And the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. And he will deliver you. He will guard you against the evil one. He holds you. This is like a child clinging to his father while the father carries him around all day long. When your strength seems non-existent, he's holding on to you. And it doesn't depend on you. On how tightly you hold. The anchor holds within the veil. We can anticipate the work of God because we have seen him work in our lives. There's a expert builder of homes that has built two homes nearby where we live. I marvel at the way he built those two homes, one after another, and I've seen his handiwork. And I just found out the other day, I met uh, the owner of the next home he's going to build, and I'm anticipating the next house because I've seen the first two he's built. I know the next one's going to be amazing. We've seen God work. You know what he has done. 
He saved you out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog of your sin. You can trust him. Pray for his power. You know what Peter said? After you've suffered a little while, you know what that means? Through this life, all through this life, after you've suffered a little while, in this life, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, himself, not sending somebody else, he's doing it. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you in the next life. Some of you might say, well, does that mean that I need to go through life and, and just, just slug it out through life because things don't seem to be working out? Yes. But may God make you firm and fixed and unbending and establish your heart solid and secure in the midst of whatever is going on in life. I probably have mentioned this before, but that new shade structure we have outside, there's four posts. And all I know is that you can be uh, confident standing under any of those posts because there's a 10-foot hole that was dug, and you know what that 10-foot hole is filled with? All sorts of really good stuff that holds stuff up. God upholds the church. And God upholds the church as the church holds the word. You know what we hear in 1 Timothy 3? That the church is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. We are the buttress of the truth because Christ strengthens us. We can anticipate the work of God. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He will be revealed. We, we read that in 2 Thessalonians 1.6. Christ will be revealed. Why? Because he went back up to heaven and he promised to return. We read about his coming in this second chapter. How do we know there'll be a coming? Because there was a going and he promised to return. So you can appreciate what God has done as you're praying for his power and anticipate what he will do eagerly. But this assumes that something is going on in our hearts. It's happening in our hearts that moves us to, to respond because it's welded together with the last phrase of verse 17. It's just baked in here. In every good work and word, God would the God who gave you eternal comfort and good hope by grace would comfort your hearts and strengthen them. You appreciate what he has done. You anticipate it. But it says in every good work and word. We need to participate in what God is doing now. There's no indication here or anywhere in Scripture that believers are merely to sit back and watch God do it all. There is to be active engagement we're not robots, we're not puppets where God puts, you know, God doesn't put word in your, in your mouth or, or move your limbs against your will. God works in and through those he saves. This is why we're told in 1 Corinthians 3, we are God's fellow workers. This is why Paul said to the Corinthians, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored 
I worked hard. I grew weary with toil and sweat, even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Let me, let me read you in 2 Corinthians 6 what, what he says about it. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, he says, Working together with him, with God, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. There's this obvious participation in serving Jesus through thick and thin. That's what's intended here. But let me read to you what he says next. As servants of God, this is 2 Corinthians 6, 4, we commend ourselves in every way by endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Sure doesn't sound like he was sitting back in his hammock. Sweat labor is sweet labor in Christ. Be it prayer or preaching or working with people. Paul told the Philippians, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. You work it out because God is at work in you. That's why James says, you dive into the work with gusto. He says in James 1.22, put aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness and receive in humility the implanted word that is able to save your souls and prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. D.A. Carson said, when God speaks to us in his word, those who profess to know him must respond with reverence and certain fear and a holy joy, and a questing obedience. Questing obedience. John says, let us not love with word and tongue, but in deed and truth. In every good work and word, we're to pursue good works. The emphasis there is on the great number of them. In Titus, three different times, it talks about engaging in good deeds to meet pressing needs so you wouldn't be unfruitful. It's the idea of many good deeds. It's not the works of the law to gain merit. It's not prompted by some fleshly, human, sin-infected motivation. It's simply using the gifts and abilities that God has given you and serve his gospel purposes, not to be recognized, but for his fame. May we sincerely serve Christ in the smallest ways to the biggest serve so that others would see Christ in all his glory in every good work what you do because you love Jesus and want to please him in every good word we will give an account for every careless word that we speak we, we must measure our words you must calculate your words to do good People might not receive what you meant for good. But may it never be that you meant it for evil. 
Joseph told his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Beloved, act upon the will of God. That's why Paul told the Romans, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. God's going to use me to strengthen you. In Matthew 28, we're told, go and make disciples. You break those, the word for disciple down, it's a believing learner or, or a learning believer. Jesus said in John 8, 31, the one who continues in my word, there's a genuine disciple. You need to participate in the work that God is doing. No sidecar spectator, but indwelt by God, therefore at peace, therefore kept, therefore protected, therefore preserved, therefore empowered by the one who invisibly indwells you. Union with Christ. Paul captured it well in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I want to serve him with every good work and word. But that implies something. It implies that the works and the words glorify God. But how can we, who are sinfully depraved, do that? We're just reading this morning. You open the news in whatever format you get it, and I read one. I was like, oh my goodness, that, that's bad. On June 14th, uh, some teens in Philadelphia beat a 73-year-old man to death with a traffic cone and laughed while they were doing it. The attack was caught on video. You go, oh, that couldn't be. It was, it's on video. It's bad. But it's not as bad as it could have been. And that's the point. The worst criminal can be worse. Jesus says even, we know how to give good gifts to our kids. That, that we're not totally destitute of all goodness, that we can do some good things. But apart from God's grace, you cannot please God. That sinners can love their kids and be good neighbors and all of that, but apart from God's grace, they cannot love God inwardly. They cannot have a motivation for doing the good from a good motivation. Sin taints us. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we're not as wicked as we could be, but we are bad enough to be sent to hell. So what makes the works and the words good? Only God. Only the grace of God in Christ. When you are in Christ, the works and the words can can have a, a better chance of being good when you're adoring Christ. When you're adoring Christ. Paul was always adoring Christ. He says to the Romans, to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. He was always lifting up Christ. Jesus, who saves. Jesus, who sanctifies. He has done and will do great things. All glory and honor and praise to Jesus. 
Worship Jesus who went to the cross. Worship Jesus who is praying for every believer now. Savor the glories of Christ in the gospel. How beautiful it is to know and to love Jesus who is greater and better and stronger than all. Jesus who was crucified and buried and risen and is now reigning and will be returning. If you're an unbeliever, that's the gospel for you. Christ died in your place at the cross. Believe it. Unbeliever, the gospel for you is that. If you're convicted of your sins, that's the gospel for you. Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. Died in your place for your sins. If you're wavering in your faith, that's the gospel for you. If you're wayward in your life, that's the gospel for you. And if you're a strong believer today, by the grace of God, that's the gospel for you. Before hearing the gospel and believing in Christ, we thought we were so good. We thought we deserved acceptance with God. But when you see the cross, you are humbled and you are disgusted by your sin. If you've never been disgusted by your sin, you've never been saved. The cross transforms your outlook on life and, and to the point where you say with John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. I'm going to deny myself. Where you say, what gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? Where you rejoice at his glorious perfections. Where, where you rejoice at his gracious provision for you. Where you rejoice in his kindness. His mercy. Where you wake up knowing, oh, God chose me. God called me to himself in his perfect time. God keeps me going. I'm breathing. My, my heart is ticking for a sovereignly planned purpose. And I adore Christ. I love Christ. I want to serve Christ. I'm desperate for him every day. I will fervently pray. I will trust him. I will pour out my heart to him. And I want to do works and words that are good. And when I adore Christ, there's a better chance of that. It also is true that the works and words are good when we're humble. Not proud, but humble. We tend to self-congratulate. We tend to want to enemy eradicate. Uh, we're sophomores. No offense to new sophomores, but if you break down the word sophomore, you know what it means? Wise fool. You just know just enough, and you're going to learn some more through pain. We're, we're wise fools. We cannot serve Christ in an unchristlike manner. Pride is malignant. It's never benign. Christ was humbled to the cross. We must be humbled by the cross. Michael Reeves put it this way, the cross is the pinnacle of Christ's work. Clearest window into his identity, fulcrum of the gospel, magnet that draws people to God. Nothing has power to stir the deep affections of human hearts like a faithful exhibition of Jesus crucified. He said a man strong in himself can rarely proclaim a suffering savior. He cannot explain the depths of Christ's mercy toward him because his brilliance gets in the way of Christ. The first work of grace in a sinner is pulling down the old man. Demolition of deluded self-confidence and self-love. 
That's the stripping that allows us to be clothed with true beauty and righteousness. It's where in Christ you are driven outside yourself, out of yourself to trust only in Christ and not yourself. Now, now, when that happens, you're ready for Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. And then verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, his poem, his work of art, his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand. Just like he chose you in him before the foundation of the world and predestined you to adoption, he, he prepared beforehand these good works that we would walk in them, that we would live our lives in them. And Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 speaks to the church as a whole in plural. And in verse 10 where it says, we are his workmanship, he is speaking of the creation of the body of Christ. That the unified whole made up of many parts through many ages that you would think, wow, I'm a part of a much bigger body, body that God is using for his purposes. In the Greek, the we and the us and the you are all plural. That we are one in Christ, that is a humbling thought. That works and words are good when we adore Christ and are humble. And they are also good when we bear fruit, when there's some fruit, good fruit coming out of our life. Jesus said in John 15, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, fruit that would remain, fruit that would re abide. The Colossians were told, You walk in a, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do good works and share good words. Start in your home. Start in your household. Start in your workplace. Start in your neighborhood. Because Christ was steadfast in death, you can be steadfast in life. In your marriage, for better or worse. If you're living through worse, you signed on for better or worse. Serve Christ in your marriage. In your parenting, your kids are draining you dry, Give till you have nothing less left. Be, be the giving tree. In your career, in your future, trust it to God. Man, woman, boy, girl, whatever age you are, whatever life stage you are, trust your eternal soul to him and serve his purposes every moment. Because I'll tell you what, the world is watching to see if you love your family in Christ. That will show that you love Christ. If you don't have anything good to say about your fellow believers, what does it say about you? What does it say about your spiritual health? But if you would hold the word, if you would bear fruit in every good work and word in a slippery culture that slips sliding to hell, you don't only have to be wary of all the skunks, but be welcoming of everyone. That you're the house with the lights on, that the church will be the house with the lights on, the welcome mat out, the doors open to all. Humility, kindness, sensitivity, uh, Compassion, grace, truth, gentleness, the work at work, uh, the, the work of the word in us. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So when we're praying for God's power, let's be really clear. It's about appreciating what Christ has done. It is about anticipating what he will do. He is faithful. And it is about participating in what 
he is doing so that we serve his purposes. You see, things aren't always as they seem. People aren't always as they look or assume to act. You know, my cousin Tim in Tennessee, when his granddaughter came running to him, said, hey, there's a skunk in the field, and he watched and said, I have a hunch what he was after. The rest of the story is this. He said, I saved him a trip to the barn, and I took him a fresh, cool bowl of water. He took the skunk, a bowl of water. And he said, the skunk got a drink and headed back down the hill. And then he says this, it's hot and dry out there, folks, and all God's critters have to drink. Put some water out the next couple days. Instead of chasing people away, how about offer a cup of cool water? True hospitality and friendship. Everyone welcome. Don't pigeonhole a person into the eternal consequences of their sin. Just look with eyes of hope on every faint beginning of repentance. The gospel changes lives. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed. There's forgiveness for repenters. So give the word. Appeal to those made in the, in the, in the, in the image of God. Give the gospel out like a first aid kit, not like a battering ram. Salt and light. Give your testimony such that no one would would find out you're a Christian and go, no way in the world. Just pray for God's power, adore Christ, and humbly bear fruit to the glory of God. Lord, may the words of our mouths, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Lord, would you establish the work of our hands as we trust in your power. We adore you, Lord. Thank you for humbling us with the cross. And thank you, Lord, for whatever fruit might be born. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we come to the Lord's table on the Lord's day to do what the Lord had, has instructed his church to do together when we gather. This is for the church to remember Christ. We're told to do this in remembrance of him, remembering what he has done at the cross in our place. It's not just for members or attenders of Grace Church of Orange. It's for all believers. It's not for unbelievers. It's for believers. It's for the family of God that we would do this in a a worthy manner, not an unworthy manner. The worth of this table is that Jesus instructed his people to remember him together. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he was going to the cross. He took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you that such a simple 
even common act of obedience is pleasing to you. And we thank you, Lord, that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. And we thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you will do and what you are doing now. We praise you. We love you. We worship and adore you. We pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you're able, please stand as we close worshiping together. give a handout out each week and it has uh, announcements and I love all of you but not all of you were in here when we started. I was and I didn't see all of you but what that means is you lost out on hearing about a lot of good things that are happening this week that you probably want to be involved in so please look at that at that uh, card or go on our website and check that out okay and Ben come up here you're the I'm the only guy probably who knows you here but uh, I, I want you to pray and bless us as as we go out uh, and just pray for us. Uh, Ben's here for some classes this week and uh, surprised me by coming today. And it's really, really good to see you again. So pray for thank us, you. What a blessing to be here with you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love poured out immeasurably toward us in Christ. And we confess to you together, Lord, that we are weak. We know that you are strong. So I pray, Father, that you would strengthen each and every person here with your love this week, with the presence of Christ this week. Father, I pray that you would strengthen those who are rejoicing to rejoice all the more in a way that pleases you. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen those who are suffering and struggling this week with your presence. And Father, I just pray that you would root and ground us in love for you and love for one another this week. And we thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Great day. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor with me.